I love doing this podcast. I absolutely love more than anything doing this podcast because of guests like Lauren Johnson I just had who I knew was going to be a challenge for me because I don't necessarily believe in mental strength performing, coordinating, conditioning, or whatever it is. It's not my comfort zone. I am someone who literally thrusts themselves into, you know, not so amazing situations because I anticipate that I will be able to figure a way out. But after listening to this podcast, I hope you get the same result as I did, which was just having a slight adjustment in the way we approach things, in the way we approach risk, in the way we garner our confidence, in the way we determine what is a threat and what is actually a challenge, a good challenge. So this podcast, Leadership Blocker, is is for you all to help you improve in many aspects of life, but most importantly, in your military transition or your small business. Entrepreneurs, look, we don't have it easy, and I never, ever try and hide that whatsoever. I am so in it to win it, and I'm like not phased by setbacks, or uh, you know, I'm not turned off by the fact that I know there's so many failures coming forward. So that being said, you know, this was a perfect, perfect person to have on because it explored something that is just not something I typically talk about, not something I typically adapt to, and not something that I'm generally interested in. But to really top it all off, once we were done, she's like, my brother was in MARSOC. Like, seriously? Like, her brother was a Marine. That's amazing. So, of course, we ended up talking for like another 10 or 15 minutes, and and that is why I do this. So... Let's uh, go ahead and listen to Lauren Johnson, who was part of the New York Yankee system and who is a mental strength and conditioning coach. Don't take it for granted. She brings it. And here we go. All right. Welcome back to the Leadership Locker. Today, my guest is Lauren Johnson, who I was introduced to by Tony Wally. So I'm very, very thankful for that. And I want to get that out of the way. But This is a topic we've absolutely not covered on the Leadership Locker before, and that's mental conditioning, mental strength. And you would think we would have covered that coming from the military, but we have not. That's why I brought on an expert. And Lauren, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get right into this. Yeah, so um, I am a mental performance coach, and really, uh, I studied sports, sport and performance psychology. So I didn't just study sport, I actually studied about kind of how our mind interacts with performance, whether it's kind of a high, uh, high risk occupation, like military, police force, you know, firefighters, and then also um, businessmen and women, surgeons and sports. And so a lot of what I do, it's, it's all based on how we can increase our ability to perform in any given moment. So for me, the first thing when I look at your profile, and I look at some of your posts, I'm like, okay, I'm certain and I could be wrong that you did not go to college as a freshman be like, that's what I want to do. What was your goal back then? And then how did it kind of transition into this is my calling? So it's important to note that I grew up in a very sports heavy household. I have an older brother who actually has served in the military. And yeah, we we just were, we were all sports all the time in our household. I played soccer and I played soccer all through college. And I knew I wanted to work with athletes and, but I knew I didn't want to, you know, be a, like a, a soccer coach. So for me, I, I went into it and I was like, oh, you know what? Physical therapy sounds interesting. So I got actually my undergrad in kinesiology and I minored in psychology. And it was actually my third game into my senior year. I had just come back from a concussion uh, the prior year and I got another one. 
And I was told when I came out, I like knew the moment it happened. And when I came out the field and um, I had my scans done and I sat down with our neurologist, he pretty much told me it's no longer safe for you to play. He said, you know, I can't guarantee that this, if you get another one, that it won't be permanent. So it was a hard realization because, you know, before we hopped on here, you know, we talked a little bit about transition. This was a forced transition. This wasn't by choice. It was something that I, you know, soccer was part of my identity. It was this thing that I, if you ask me like, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, soccer's great. School's good. Like I always started with soccer. That's how you know you love it. Yeah. And so it was a hard reality, but I, I knew for my health, you know, long-term stuff, it was the better choice. So I made the choice to stop, but I had some extra time. So I decided to take on a course and it was an elective course in sports psychology. And I just fell in love with it. And I think I fell in love with it because I was the athlete that needed it. Like I was the athlete that re- I related so much to the content that I thought to myself, well, I know like Abby Wambach or, you know, Julie Foudy to age myself a little bit. Uh, but I wondered how my experience would have been, how much more I would have been able to perform if I would have had developed these skills early on. Because every time I learned a new topic, I knew exactly where I would have applied it. That's really, really interesting. So let me switch it a little bit. Right now, if we were in a normal world where we could all go to networking events and whatever, and people are exchanging business cards, there is no shortage of people who are a consultant and they're also a realtor or they're a realtor and also an executive coach. And they just kind of like double down on these side hustles. And to me, I'm just like, which one are you, right? Like I want someone who's completely committed. Now for you, when it comes to kind of mental conditioning, you know, here you are, you, you've you kind of stumbled into it accidentally because you had a forced transition and you're like, okay, this is interesting to me. But the question for me that comes to mind is how are people going to qualify you, right? Like how do you approach that? And you're like, okay, like I didn't crush it because I didn't have this knowledge before. And two, I had a health issue. So what was that like kind of entering the space and being like, trust me, I got this? <laughs> well, I actually, so you can't just, you know, take a, a course and become do what I do. Um, I, I, so I went on and got my master's degree in performance psychology. So I really like, doubled down on it because I just fell in love with it. And I knew that that was like, especially in psychology, you typically can't do a whole heck of a lot with an undergrad. Uh, you typically have to go a little bit further. So I, I did my research and I ended up getting my master's degree in it. And, you know, when people say, like, for instance, you know, my, my former position was with the New York Yankees and I worked with a lot of our players throughout the minor league system. And when they would ask, you know, in my interview, I remember them saying, you know, how are you going to get buy-in? You know, let's be real. Like you're a female. And I'm like, I know. And I pretty much, here's the thing. When somebody asks like, why should I trust you? I'm like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you should go into your own research. You should be putting these things to the test. You shouldn't just trust me and then try them out in your biggest game. And especially that's not how mental performance works anyway, but no, you should be trying these on yourself because the cool thing about mental toughness is that it's different for each individual. And so, yes, I can stand up in front of a group and I can tell you how to visualize, but every single person is going to do it a little bit different. There's so many different ways to use it. And so for some people, they may like to use it the day before a game. For some people, they may, if like for golfers in particular, they may like to visualize a shot before they take it. So it really depends on the person. And I think that's the art of what we do. There's the science of what we do. And then there's the art of what we do. And I think that's where, um, you know, if somebody asks them, why should I trust you? They're like, well, you shouldn't take my word for it. You should go do it yourself. So. 
there's two key things I've taken away already. And one is you are acutely familiar with the problem you're trying to solve because you were able to process what you did as a performer and be like, knowing this, it could have been a completely different game for me or something along those lines. The second thing is that I love the high touch kind of aspect of it where it's like, I can't talk to Rich the way I talk to Anne and I can't talk to Anne the way I talk to Katie or whatever it is. Like that really to me is exciting because you probably could never get bored. If you were giving everyone the same information, you'd probably be like, this is, it's a wrap. Like this is super boring. So if we look at this from an entrepreneurship lens and the mental toughness, for me, I am one who who really promises not to keep away from the content about failures, about the content about obstacles and the barriers and all the potholes you're going to hit. And that no matter who tells you what kind of blueprint or accelerator is out there, that you have to be far more prepared. When it comes to mental toughness, and I know it's you are in performance, but what are some of the things that people can do in terms of kind of expectation management so they don't end up self-sabotaging themselves when it comes to mental performance? Yeah, so um, so one of the things in terms of mental performance, the way I like to look at it is like, we're all born with default settings, right? Like an iPhone. You know, you get an iPhone, we all got all the default apps. It all looks the same until you upgrade them. And we upgrade them by going to the app store. Well, unfortunately, with our brain, we can't just upgrade positive thinking by downloading an app. The way that we download new behaviors is through repetition. And I'm not just talking repetition in general. I'm talking consistent repetition. And so if you're somebody that that tends to, you know, explode when somebody or gets defensive when somebody says something you don't like, you know, one of the things that we can repeat is putting space in between somebody the, what they say and and how we respond. And so when we do that consistently, suddenly we we're not that person anymore. And so if you want to download a new type of behavior, we have to do we have to download repetition. We have to continue to repeat things. And so when people, you know, go into these ideas of expectations, a lot of times they think, oh, well, you know, mental toughness, great. I'm going to go out and try this. And then they try it once and they go, oh, it doesn't work. And that's not how it bit. Like this first time you try it is not the first time you're going to be successful with it necessarily. It's like, you know, I just started mountain biking recently. And the first time I went out, I ate crap because I pulled the wrong, I pulled the wrong break. <laughs> but it was because I fell that actually helped me learn which break is which and which one I should be using in, a, in different parts of my ride. And so just because it doesn't, it's not perfect the first time doesn't mean that it won't improve as we go. And so I think sometimes the expectations of mental toughness is if I start using it, suddenly I will be more focused. If I start doing this, suddenly I'm going to be more confident. And it's more of an accumulation over time. And so what I talk about with people is I would rather you be consistent than intense. When we do these big goals, right? We're like, okay, I want to lose 30 pounds. And we're really intense. We're like, okay, we're going to the store. We're throwing away all of our ice cream. We have no bad foods in the house. I'm going to work out three times a week. And that first week they don't hit it, they stop. And so for me, I care a heck of a lot more about you remaining consistent than I do you being intensive. And so lowering intensity, but... but continuing consistency. And we can do that. And I call it the lowest common denominator. And let's say that you want to work out three times a week. Well, what's the lowest common denominator of that? Like if you can't get to the gym three times a week, what if you just put on your gym clothes three times a week? 
Like that's the lowest thing that you can do that encourages the consistency and the repetition of getting yourself to go to the gym. Like what's that first domino that's so easy that it's like, you can't not do it. Maybe for some people it's doing, you know, three sets of 10 body squats in your living room. Either way, we are building the habit of working out even if it isn't to the level you want. And then as you kind of build, uh, become a master of just that level, then we can slightly level up. And so maybe if you're doing body squats three times a week, then maybe you're doing body squats and going on a five minute walk. And then you, and you just keep, keep, you know, turning up the intensity, but more important than intensity is consistency. I absolutely love that. I really try. And like I said, I, I put content out there where I'm like, it's excruciatingly slow you know, some of the progress. And and that is something that you need to know. So I want to flip what you said, or at least take it up another notch. Let's say, okay, I want to work on my field goals, because I am a field goal kicker, or I'm taking on something new this year, because whatever. And I and I go ahead and the repetitions are there, the repetitions are there, the repetitions are there. And I started to see a little progress, the door starts to open, I see the daylight, I'm like, great. Now what I've seen, and I've done this myself is I reward myself for that progress. And then all of a sudden, that repetition begins to wane. Why does that happen? A lot of times, right, we look at bouncing back from failure. But I like to talk about bouncing back from success because we get this false sense of accomplishment sometimes. And so what we do is like, because we succeeded, we are just expected to succeed the next time we try it without putting in the same amount of effort, without putting in the same amount of hours. And while I am all about celebrating our wins along the way, you're never too good to improve. You're never too good to continue. And I always think that The moment you feel you've got all the answers is the moment you set yourself back 10, like 10 steps back. And it's kind of like the same reason why, you know, certain, certain animals become extinct. You know, there's, there's various reasons, but one of them being that they don't adapt to their changing environment. And so if we think, you know, think about like the woolly mammoth and the saber tooth tiger, they're plenty strong, but they became extinct because they didn't adapt to their environment quick enough. And so they they kind of stay, stayed exactly where they were. And like we see that with companies too. I mean, look at Polaroid, for example. You know, they invented instant photography. And then they spent the next 10 years pretending digital photography didn't exist. And now they're a niche market with like a third of the profits. And so it's all about evolving and never buying into the idea that you're too good to improve. Because the moment that you do, you're going to set yourself back. And that's what improvement looks like. It's continuous. And... I always, the way, the kind of analogy I like to use is climbing a mountain. You know, the goal is not to get to the top. The goal is to master the climb in front of you. All the while knowing when you get to the top, it's going to reveal more mountains. The goal is not to finish the climb. The climb is never over. It's just knowing that when you get to the top, it's going to reveal more. And so the goal is just to master the one that you're on because as you do, the best version of you continues to get better. I'm with that. We are aligned. I always like to say there's uh, one one of my battalion commanders a long time ago used to say there's no finish lines, only starting lines. And I'm like, he's exactly right. Like the minute you get promoted to sergeant, you need to be thinking about staff sergeant. You need to be thinking about the corporals under you and all. it, It never is done. The work is never done. Hey, everyone, quick, quick break to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by my company, Ridge Cardona Media. And I want to talk to you about our newest offer very, very briefly, which is (laughs) launching your book. Do you have a marketing plan? 
do you have all the eyes on it that you need? Are you looking not to like destroy your budget by going with big book publishing if they'll even talk to you? Look, Eliza's on the team. She was in a publishing house for 10 years. Uh, we just interviewed JT McCormick, the CEO of Scribe Media not long ago, and watching him and her go back and forth, uh, I have to tell you that she can just be up there with the big dogs and we are trying to help you make sure that you have a good launch. We're looking at 16 week launches. We have a couple different tiers that we could entertain. But if you are in the middle of writing a book, have written a book, but haven't done anything with it or in the beginning stages of writing a book, then definitely reach out to us at info at richcardonamedia.com or you can reach out to Eliza, Eliza at richcardonamedia.com. Let's get back to Lauren. She's kicking ass. And I told you I was going to ask about a, a particular player just because it's fresh in my mind. When I lived in California, I started listening to uh, ESPN Radio and it was Max Kellerman and Marcellus Wiley back in the day. And all they talked about was Dodgers, the Dodgers, Dodgers, Dodgers. And then it was always about Clayton getting to the playoffs. Like this is a guy who's clearly going Hall of Fame. He is a generational talent. He's just the master. However, when it mattered most up until recently, it never worked out. It never worked out like you can say, and I mean, I don't think there's anything, anyone who's ever said like he didn't work hard enough or whatever. It was clearly mental. And it was also clearly a situation where everyone's looking at it like my at bat with this guy is like the Super Bowl. I have to take advantage of it if I'm in the playoffs, you know, and I'm facing him. So how is it, whether it's, you know, physical, mental performance, entrepreneurship, military, that when you are, you know, a master of something that when it matters most, it can all evaporate like that. Oh man, that's a really, it's a really good question. And um, to answer it hundred percent accurately, it would be, I'd have to sit down and actually chat with him, but I'll tell you a couple of things that happens when we get in high pressure situations, you know, our, our brain, we have this default setting, you know, our brain's meant to protect us. And we used to have these, you know, much, especially in the military, you guys know, like when you're, when you're at war, like when you're in a firefight, you know, the threat's real. And your body's responding to help you respond to that threat. But sometimes it turns on protection mode when we don't need it, like being in a World Series game and pitching under a lot of pressure. Like it interprets it as a threat. And so there's this one really cool thing in science that we, that we know is that there's, a, there's these two types of mindsets under pressure. It's a threat versus a challenge mindset. And when we view something as a threat, what our body does is it it goes in, again into protection mode. Our blood vessels, they constrict. Our um, lungs, they also constrict. Our heart rate variability goes down. It really inhibits um, you know, oxygenated blood throughout our body, meaning we have less cognitive function. Where if we view something as a challenge, meaning I'm ready for this, I got this. You're not lying to yourself that it's not a big moment or that it doesn't matter, but we're looking at it instead of like, oh no, I'm playing not to lose. We start playing to win. Both have the same end goal. One pl plays from a place of power while the other plays from a place of fear. So if we want to shift to that place of power, looking at something like this is a challenge, like I got this. Our body actually responds differently when it interprets the data differently. What it does is our actual, our blood vessels, they dilate. Our lungs, they expand. Our heart rate variability goes up, getting oxygenated blood to all of our muscles and our brain so we can make better decisions under pressure. And so if you are facing a really pressure situation, one of the things that you can do is just tell yourself like, this is a challenge. I've got, this is my body responding to me to help me meet the moment. 
And when we do that, we see the shift in our physiology and um, it can really help us under the, under the gun because there's two things to know about pressure is number one, you, you don't feel pressure about something you don't care about. So it's really an indicator that you care. And number two, the way that you interpret your pressure will determine how it impacts you. <laughs> this is incredible. I'm, I'm, as you're saying this, I'm like thinking about like Kobe and people like that who just looked at everything as a challenge. And it was just like, it's just a completely different dimension of how people think. So now that you've covered that, which was ridiculously interesting, how would you recommend people tweak their mindset to look at situations more of a challenge than a threat. And and what I mean, just to just to kind of speak on it a little bit deeper, is you can already visualize this prospect saying no to your offer because they're going to be turned off by the price. Or I'm going to give a discount in advance because I'm so worried about that exact thing. And now instead of a challenge, I'm protecting myself and I'm going to lower the price or whatever it may be. How can, how can people flip the switch or get the repetition in to approach things as a challenge where actually they're okay with losing. The fear of failure dissipates. Right. Well, I think that there's a couple wait, couple things you touched on. I think one of the first ones is there's there's ways that we can prepare for challenge in the moment. We can prepare for pressure because one way to handle difficult moments is to handle them before they happen. And what that does is it kind of primes our mind. Our, what it does, what we do is we can create this plan in our mind. And our mind loves planning because it doesn't have to decide in the moment. So when the moment comes, its only job is to kind of execute. And so one of the best ways that we can do that, instead of relying on like the emotion, whether it's insecurity, whether it's fear, whether it's, you know, you name it. If we're in that moment, we're trying to sell somebody and suddenly a fear pops up or a thought pops up or a feeling. We don't want to act based on our thoughts or our feelings. We want to act based on facts, based on our plans, because your thoughts aren't facts. Neither are your feelings. They're really good indicators and they can really help guide us. But we have to kind of be a Brita filter. We have to filter out what is fact and, and, and beneficial and what is, what is not and is not very helpful in the moment. That's hard to do that in the moment if we're not totally planning for it. Um, so one way that we can actually increase our chances of meeting the moment as a challenge is to kind of create an if-then plan and um, figure out what could go wrong. You know, a lot of people say, do not think negative. Negativity is bad. In this instance, I think it's good. And to think through all the things that could go wrong. Like for instance, um, there's this great book called um, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield. And he was a, a Canadian astronaut. And he said that what they did is they would go through kind of these, these scenarios. What is the worst thing that could happen in space? And he said, the worst thing would be a fire. If a fire broke out on board, he goes, we can't put out the fire. There's nowhere to go. So it, that is the absolute, like you can just float off into oblivion in the universe. Like there's, there's nothing that they can possibly do. So that's the worst case scenario. So what they did is they went through all these different solutions all these different things. How do they want to respond? What is the first thing that they should check? They went through every little thing so that when that happened, if the fire alarm went off, their response wasn't panic. Their response wasn't, this is a threat to my life. Their response was task-oriented mode. Let's go in this. This is a challenge. We got this. And they would go in. So it kind of like sets their default there versus their default being in panic because they are prepared. And so when people say, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. I just think that's BS in terms of planning. I think we should sweat the small stuff. I think we should be diving into those details. And so if you know this part of sales is tough for me, this part of you know the military is tough for me, this part of practice or training is tough for me, 
sit down and go through like, what could go wrong? And if it does, what am I going to do when that happens? And so we call it if then planning. And so you can just write out if this situation happens, then this is the behavior I want to execute. And what we do is we create a connection in our brain to the situation and that behavior, increasing our likelihood of actually executing it. Yeah, you're reminding me of this time officer candidate school, which I felt like people were running circles around me. And I'm like, this sucks. Like I need to get in shape and I can't get in shape because now I'm already here and uh, I'm not where I need to be. And we did this endurance courses like 4.8 miles and you have your stuff on and climb a rope. It's just like all this nonsense, right? And not nonsense, but just preparation. So I struggled so hard. So I knew we had to do it a couple more times over the next course of the six months. So what I did was I went and did it by myself, dry run without the gear. And just literally like remembering steps and creeks and this and that and some of those things made it a completely different experience because I, in a way, neutralized the threat. I I was task oriented exactly how you said. And I cut like something like 14 minutes off my time. It was ridiculous. It was insane. And I was like, wow, how did I not know to do that in advance? You said something and it it triggered my memory of um, Alex Honnold. He was the first person to climb El Cap um, without a rope. One of the things he says is, is the difference between risk versus consequence. And I think this, that's what kind of this planning does, is that the consequence of him climbing El Cap was death. But he was able to mitigate the risk so much because from all of his planning that the risk of him actually falling was so small. Sure, the consequence remains the same, but we're able to work and work through and mitigate the risk through our training and through some of these, like, you know, what if this happens? What do I do in, in response? And so I, I loved that is that, yes, the consequence may be rejection. The consequence may be, you know, fill in the blank, depending on what that is for you. But we can mitigate the risk of that and really bring that down to a really, really small margin where it's really not likely by really planning and preparing. That is such a granular but ridiculous distinction. Like, it's, it's small, but... It's huge. Like I never, I've never thought of it that way. I love that. So let me ask you this: You have worked, you know, with one of the most well-known organizations in the world, and then you obviously are on social media, so you've seen some of some of the best entrepreneurs out there, and you've seen uh, people on social media like The Rock, people who are clearly massively talented. But I was listening to a podcast this morning, one of my favorite podcasters, and this guy's got, you know, eight-figure business. He's all over the place, one of the top podcasts ever. And he said in the middle of this podcast, he goes, I always feel like a loser. He's like, I just never say that to people because they don't believe me because I'm so successful. You've been around people who are clearly high performers. What would you offer to the people who are kind of making their way up the mountain, so to speak, and they see someone that's already at the summit to kind of let them know that they're not alone? Oh my gosh. You know, I get this question all the time from parents of young athletes. Um, like, what is the number one mental skill that like, you know, a major leaguer and, and Grant, I did not work with our major league team. Uh, we had Chad Bowling that did when I was with the Yankees and he's still there, but you know, what, what are like the, the top of the line, like athletes, like what, what are the things that they deal with? And it's no different. Like the challenges are no different. Just the stakes change. So they're still, they still struggle with confidence when they're in a hitting slump. You know, they still struggle with being able to manage pressure when they're in a really big situation that matters and their whole team is watching them and relying on them. You know, these things all still um, impact them just at a different level. And so the thing about dealing with it when you're younger 
not even younger, but just different experience levels. When you start working, like those little small things are so important because again, mental toughness is something that is built over time. It needs to be exercised every day. It's not a light switch. So it's something that if you can deal with it at this level, like mental toughness can help you level up. But what I will tell you is that leveling up does not help you build mental toughness. And so it's one can influence the other, but it's not automatic just because you leveled up. And so what we do see happen sometimes is people that are really talented get to a point and then they plateau because their talent only takes them so far. But then being able to manage situations, like doing what they do that comes so naturally to them in high stakes, high pressure when the game is on the line, when it matters, that's what separates a lot of our athletes. And so when I think of like military or business people, it's the same stuff. A lot of people are, are capable of doing the work and uh, of being able to you know, do those actions. It's can you do it when it matters? And I think what mental toughness provides is adaptability. You know, mental toughness won't make you invincible, but it's going to make you adaptable. And I think adaptability is, what, is that core principle, that core skill that makes elite level individuals. I have a couple more questions. And I told you, I think of them on the fly. And this one is perfect for me because I don't believe in it that much. And it's probably because I haven't practiced it. So I'm completely full of shit for saying I don't believe it. But visualization, I've heard this, you know, come up so many times and people that practice it, I'm like, dude, there's no way you do that every morning or there's no way you do that before bed. And I'm talking like uber successful people. Prove me wrong on why I just don't believe it actually works because I am interested in it and I just probably am referring to the fact that I'm ADD and I just cannot sit still that I can't do that. But is it is it as powerful? Have you seen its effectiveness uh, on large scales? Absolutely. So first of all, a couple of things. Just to first uh, validate your point is that visualization is not an easy skill for, for many. Some, for some people, it comes very naturally. Um, for others, it doesn't. For me, it's something I had to work at. Um, it was not natural for me. So it's, that's actually a really normal response. It, it can be kind of off-putting because it's hard. It's definitely not easy. So first of all, just to finish that thought, not every mental skill is for every person. And so if visualization may not work for you, and that's totally fine. I think one of the biggest things that we could mess up on is trying to force mental toughness or mental skills that aren't necessarily something that works very well for somebody, like force them to do something that's not working. It's like, like positive affirmations is one. Like I cannot do I don't, I, I, that's like, no way I don't need it. It's just right here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so just so know that if there's anybody out there that's, they've heard of certain mental skills and are like, I hate that. Totally. Okay. Like I'm, I'm good with that. There's things that I like and there's things I don't. So that's first and foremost. Now, granted visualization, it's really cool. The science behind it, because The cool thing about our brain is your brain doesn't know the difference between imagining a situation and physically doing it. It's kind of like, I don't know if this is a little too personal. If you're a crier, when you watch certain movies, I am definitely, I cry (laughs) during anything sentimental, but it's, you know, when you're watching movies and you start to feel the emotion that that person is feeling and your, your brain, it's, it's registering that you, you feel that way, even though it's not actually happening. And so it's kind of like what we can do is we can kind of create these movies in our mind. And when we do that, we are firing the same neurons in our brain that are fired when we're doing the the thing physically. And so if we look at skill at a neurological level, and I kind of like cut cut your head open and I went down to your neurons, if the skills you're really good at, your neurons will be thicker. They will be much stronger. So I want you to think of like copper wire. 
All of our neurons start out brand new, okay? New skill, never done it before, starts out as copper wire. Every single time we repeat an action or we practice this, think of electrical tape, okay? It's called myelin, but what it does is it wraps around this copper wire and it insulates that electrical response so that the electricity is not like going out and different dispersing. It's, it's staying within and keeping that connection really strong. And so the more skilled you are in any area, the more myelin you have around that neuron. And so what we can do is we can actually build up myelin in our mind by imagining doing something, not just physically. Now, the best way to do it is to pair it with physical activity, right? Because it's not, it's not a replacement for physical activity, but it's, it's an enhancer. So if you are doing something physically and maybe it's a, a new swing or, or um, you know, a new pitch, what you can do is you can also train that in your brain and imagine what that's like. And what you're doing is you're getting more reps in into those neurons and you're making that connection even stronger. And so that's the best way to do it. And it's also really good for injured athletes or um, injured military. So if you're injured right now, you can't do anything. You can be sitting there and you can start getting in those mental reps, even if you can't do it physically, you're maintaining those neuro neurological connections. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can use it. There's not just one way of like, just sit down and just imagine. Um, and I have a lot of athletes that they struggle seeing the picture. And so they focus on that actual feeling. So like, feeling like the bat in their hands and what that feels like feeling like the pine tar and all that, like that is all very, um, we can still use that even if you can't like picture it exactly. So there's a lot of ways that you can use it. I definitely think that visualiz visualization is very powerful. Um, it's not everybody's favorite or go-to, but, uh, but I would definitely encourage if you haven't put much time into it, there's different ways we can kind of work into um, if you'd be willing to try. Yeah. I honestly have not, I've not tried. So so that was literally me like putting something out there so I could see if it's, if it will be worth my time. And you certainly make it seem like it seems like it'll be worth my time to at least give it a shot and get some repetitions in. So we covered repetitions, we covered expectation management, we covered consequence and risk and threat and all these great things. And we'll wrap by me telling you that of course I cry during movies. If there's any <laughs> acts of humanitarian, like amazing acts of humanitarianism or whatever it is, I'm like, yeah. it's, it's forget if there's anything with a dog or an animal that's pretty sweet, something bad happens, it's over. So I will validate yeah. you to end this podcast and say, absolutely. And I have daughters. I'm a girl dad. So I'm just like, hey, man, like you're, I'm strong, but this stuff gets me too. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. But uh, Lauren, where can people find you, uh, interact with you or read or see your videos? Uh, so that way they can get more of this. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. My Instagram handle is at Lauren Nicole Johnson. And I have a link at, um, in my in my bio that can take you to all my social media. And I actually um, just started a newsletter. So if you want to join that, you can go and click on that and sign up for it. Um, and then on Twitter at underscore Lauren Johnson underscore. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. Uh, this was a fantastic podcast for me. and I know the audience definitely got some value out of it. So uh, we will see you next time. And thank you again. All right, everyone. I mean, takeaways galore. My question to you is, are you going to practice some visualizations? My question also is, if you have, have they worked? Definitely DM me, uh, hit me up. You could also text me. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but you know, LinkedIn is where I love to live or definitely text me. I'm definitely trying to get this uh, community thing going on via text because I am a big, big texter and I miss way too many messages on social because I don't have anyone watching it for me. And that's quite all right. So if you got anything from this, though, you know the drill. Please rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends, share it with your network. 
there's no way you didn't get something from that. And there's no way that you didn't think of someone who could use this kind of knowledge or this kind of just help. Okay, like she helped me in the course of an interview, for sure to look at how tasting success, you know, can actually send you the other way. And that has happened to me so many times over my life. So I am going to be incredibly grateful and I cannot wait to share this uh, finished podcast with her and send her a little gift. So thank you for all your support. Thank you for everything. Thank you for listening. Thank you for contributing. Thank you for just taking time to hang out. See you later.